from this, Jesus is serious. And it's this, Jesus is our advocate and helper. And really, that, I'll show you a minute, that, that's the same word in the original Greek of the New Testament. Here's the scripture. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now the word there is translated advocate. I guess that most of you who will hear this sermon read your Bibles in English as I do. And very few of us are reading the scriptures in the original Greek. So when we see the word advocate, we're likely to look it up in an English dictionary and find out that it talks about lawyers and barristers and someone appearing on our behalf and so on, uh, and speaking up for us. That's only part of the meaning of the original word. That's why don't use an English dictionary to interpret the Bible. Go back and try and find out what the original words were. The Greek word translated advocate there is the same word that Jesus uses when he talks in John's Gospel about the Holy Spirit. It's the Greek word parakletos. And in in uh, John's Gospel, in my NKJV, it's translated as helper. So this person is helper and advocate, one who speaks for you, but actually helps you too. And notice that Jesus says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. So this is another of the same. So he's saying to them, I'm going away, but someone else is going to come and be exactly like me to you. He's another helper. So guess what Jesus is then? He's a helper. If he's going to provide another one in his place, the Holy Spirit, then Jesus is a helper. And uh, you find that in a few scriptures here. I will send the Holy Spirit, the help of the Holy Spirit, and the Father will send in my name, John 14, 26. Again, 15, chapter 15. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth that proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And in John 16, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it's for your advantage I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. This Greek word parakletos is translated helper in John, but advocate in one John. Don't know why, but uh, I prefer some kind of, uh, you, you know, um, continuation there. It, the word that's connected with it is a Greek word paraklesis, which means consolation, encouragement, exhortation, and in old English versions, it's comfort. But that comfort in the Bible has nothing to do with pillows and blankets. It's to do with being strengthened being built up, being stood up on your feet. We played that video of Psalm 121, which sets out that the Lord is our helper. Now how does he help us? He will not allow your foot to be moved. He's your keeper, your shade at your right hand. He preserves you from all evil in your going out and coming in. That's when you leave home and when you come back home. God is a very present active help. I love this scripture, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We were singing, we will not fear this morning. A very present help. You know, you you can talk about someone being present. When they're very present, what does that mean? It means they're very active. They're not just there. They're there in the moment with you. They're alongside of you. They're strengthening you, helping you. A very present help. The word help and helper are found in a number of places in the scriptures, referring to the Lord. Those words have been devalued, I think, by the American use of the word help to mean a servant or a hired hand. You know, you go and hire some help. But the Almighty helps his people. The greater one helps we who are weak. So don't devalue the word help. It's a big thing. 
The Almighty God is a helper. So Jesus is someone who speaks to us from heaven. Sorry, speaks for us in heaven, in that sense of advocate, who then speaks to us from heaven as our prophet and our leader, and who strengthens us from heaven. And he does that by sending and giving the Holy Spirit, who is the other helper, the one just like Jesus. And I'm, I'm using heaven here the way that Jesus uses it in that prayer that we prayed a little of earlier. Our Father who is in heaven. It's not just about way up there in the sky. It's about being greater, almighty, sovereign, reigning in all wisdom, all knowledge, all power, all authority. Jesus, just as to the Lord Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit brings the word and help of the Lord Jesus to us. And the Holy Spirit is everything to us that Jesus would be if he stood right there next to us at this moment in time. When Jesus was on earth, he was everything the Father is. If you saw him and observed him, you'd seen the Father. And the Holy Spirit is everything that God the Father and Jesus is to us. That's the wonderful thing about the Trinity. So when we're in need, in trouble or confusion, we may at times in those moments ask, where is the Lord now? Well, the answer is twofold. The Lord Jesus appears in heaven for us. He is making intercession for us. And yet, he is right there with us through the Holy Spirit. Where is he? Right there. Very present. Now let me focus a little bit more on that heavenly ministry of the Lord Jesus appearing in heaven, because that's what John is about there. Hebrews 4, 14 and onward says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, that's the skies, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What does it say at the last part of that sentence? Find grace to help in time of need. Notice the word help. Since we have a high priest, an advocate, a helper in heaven, we come to him boldly to obtain mercy and grace to help us. Paul continues that thought later in Hebrews in chapter 7. He's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God for him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And in Romans 4, parallel passage really, you find in chapter 8, Verse 34 says, who is he who condemns us? It's Christ who died, who furthermore is risen, who's even at the right hand of God, who's making intercession for us. Jesus prays for us. In Romans 8 as well, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us and helps us to pray, strengthens strengthens us, helps us in our weakness and helps us to pray. Why? Because praying is how we access the help of God. Jesus Messiah does not reach out his hand to knock you over but to lift you up. As Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before Messiah came, I I love this scripture, a bruised reed, he will not break, and the smoking flax, he will not quench. Jesus came to lift up those who are weak and weary. So we had to come and ask for his help and depend upon it and then act upon it, help to pray to engage in asking, receiving, and then thanksgiving. Help to stand firm in the faith and not be buckled and not give way. Help to fight, to resist and overcome, as we looked at the other week, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I think we might come back to this. Help to walk, to go forward, to continue in life. Help to work, to put our hands to something, to achieve something as we go along. Now, I want to suggest to you, we need to change our thinking. 
You see, the world is cramming on us all the time its philosophies, its ways of thinking. And the danger is we become like a sponge and absorb them. But actually, we need to be renewed in, the, in our minds. Romans 12 says we need to be renewed in our minds as we consider the truth. And there's, I want to talk to you here about the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about God. Because we need a radical shift in this. All right? The way that the world thinks is wrong, clearly, and on this matter it offers two very different opinions. First of all, Darwinian or genetic determinism, which is to say, we'll come to it in a minute, says we cannot help who we are and what we do. It's all coded in our genes. It's all kind of predetermined because that's the way you're made. Uh, that's what the famous atheist Richard Dawkins teaches in one of his early books. is called The Selfish Gene. But on the other hand, optimistic humanism says that everyone's capable of complete improvement. We can choose to become exactly what we wish to be. And apart from those on the far right and the far left of politics, most modern politicians, whatever party they belong to, really kind of think like that. It's, it's all possible if, if we get the right opportunities and the right instructions. And so on. But it seems to me that many godless people hold both of those at the same time. And whatever question you give them, the different answer comes out depending on the question. The truth is in neither of those propositions. You are not pre-programmed and cannot help what you are and what you do. Neither is it possible to be entirely and absolutely whatever you choose to be. Here's what God's, teach, God's word teaches us. And this is the takeaway from this morning. Psalm 121 and the message of this message. My help comes from the Lord. I don't have to have it all. I don't have to be complete in myself. I don't have to have all the answers, all the resources, all the wisdom, all the strength. I, because God's strength is help, helps me in my weakness. My help comes from the Lord. We are not unreasoning robots. We are God's creatures made with minds and wills who make choices and take actions for which we're responsible. Yet, because we're fallen rebels against God's majesty and goodness, we are biased to do evil rather than good. God gave his law to define good and evil and to judge human behavior that was firstly dishonoring and pleasing to him, but then also dishonoring and harmful to ourselves and to others. His law is good. But we cannot achieve acceptability with God by keeping his law because it's not in our capacity to do that. We have a tendency to go the other wrong way. In inner human nature simply won't go there. It won't comply but rebels against God's law the same way that children when told don't touch those cakes immediately start looking for them. The gospel does not call us to self-improvement. It offers us a saviour and a helper. Without Jesus, and Jesus told us this, we can do nothing. Nothing that is good, upright or of lasting value for all that we do is tainted by our corrupt nature. But in him And with him, we can do all things, for he is our helper. We can do nothing without Jesus, but we can do everything that we're called to or need to do with him. So how we think about ourselves and how we think about the Lord really matters, because that is how we will live. So let me say something then on how we think about the Lord. God is not the watchmaker who's wound it all up and gone away. God has not made us and left us. 
I know some parents, when I was a kid, a little boy or whatever, you know, used to scold their kids, God is watching you. Well, let me tell you this. Yes, he is, but that's not all he's doing. That is not what he's doing entirely. He's not seeing how we turn out and then he'll judge or reward us, and that's a very Catholic way of looking at things. Scripture says that he's with us and for us, and that he's at work in us and through us. He is not merely watching us. He is at work. He's a very present help. I could quote a number of scriptures on God working in us. This one will have to serve for this time. Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We work because he's at work. That's exactly the way Jesus described his own lifestyle. I'm working because my father's working. I do what I see him do. That's how Jesus described his own way of living. I'm working and my father's working. These things I see the father doing, those I do. The things I hear from the father, those I speak. And then it's how Paul describes his way of life too. Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh and the human body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live this life now by faith in Jesus. <clears throat> the grace of God equipped and empowered Paul so he could say further down in Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, that he had learned to be content in any circumstance because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the way of life we're called to, depending and drawing upon the help of the Lord in all things at all times. Not just the tough stuff, the small stuff too. And in fact, when you trust him in the small stuff, the tough stuff, it doesn't need to be so tough because you've got some track record of learn, learning to trust God and depend upon him in all circumstances. Acting confidently in that dependence upon him. This is the Christian life of faith in the Lord Jesus. In Hebrews 13, Paul began to wrap up the letter there. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness or greed, for be content with the things, such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, and this is what we need to be saying, we need to be learning to say this more often than we do, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. Now, it may be that you've not begun to live this life of faith in the Lord yet. The Lord our helper. Let me give you again our starting scripture this morning. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. You may not continue in your past way of life. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In other places, Scripture tells us that if we will ask him to forgive us and accept us, he will. And that's the start of this relationship, this new life of learning to live in the grace of God and with the help of God, which are really two ways of saying the same thing, grace and help. Will you speak to him today and ask him to forgive you and receive you? Will you ask him to help you? <clears throat> More than half a century ago, I sat in Sunday school on Sunday afternoons singing a hymn that had this chorus. 
And I'm glad I learned it then, for it still preaches to me from time to time today. This is just the chorus of a hymn called Yield Not to Temptation. Ask the Saviour to help you. Comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. My friends, God is present. God is willing. God is able to help us in every situation of life. What we need to do is to ask him, trust him, receive from him, and then act accordingly. So that in every situation, the small stuff as well as the tough stuff, my help comes from the Lord. Jesus has given us another helper, the Holy Spirit, who never leaves us, never forsakes us. And he is with us and to us all that Jesus is. We are never left as orphans. He never leaves us or forsakes us. So that we can boldly say, having boldly come to receive grace and mercy from his throne room, we can then boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you gave us Christ your Son. He imaged you perfectly, represented you fully. We can read him, observe him in the Gospels, read his words, and know that we are encountering and touching the living God. Now, Father and Son, you have sent to us the Holy Spirit, who is another comforter, another advocate, for both are true. He speaks to us, communicates to us the the will of the Father, the word of Christ, and brings us the grace and mercy that we need in all of life, in, in times of trouble particularly. We think of friends today who are encountering troubles and difficulties, and we pray for grace and mercy to be delivered to them through the work of the Holy Spirit, the help of God, to their hearts, to their hands, to strengthen them. We pray for strengthening. This, this, this word of comfort that comes up in the old versions that is about our being strengthened and made firmer and stronger and bolder and more confident. So we stand up and we get on with it and we speak plainly and we, we don't back off and we don't give way to pressure. Lord Jesus, strengthen us by the Holy Spirit, we pray, in our inner man, as Paul says, so that we live from inner resources which are put there and replenished there day by day by the Holy Spirit. You are our helper. And you, it does not demean you one bit to call you that, because we are the ones who are weak, who are made strong by trusting you. You are glorified and honoured when your strength meets our weakness, when your wisdom meets our confusion, when your power makes us to stand firm. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.